This is Paul Dysinger. I'm going to be presenting with my dad, Edwin Dysinger, sharing about Gardening 101. And we want you to come away with this with practical steps that you can implement. We, um, the best thing that we can hand you is uh, tools and, and practical things that you can do from our experience so that you don't fall into the same pitfalls that we have. So you can learn from our failures, our mistakes, and get there, get to your goal much faster. Does that make sense? Because we want you to skip all of that and be able to, to jump right in and start growing successfully right away. So the way that we're going to uh, format this is if you take out, if you look at your little handouts, you'll have one there that has an outline of the whole session. And I'm just going to make a quick apology. Our printer was having a little bit of issues, so some of the pages might have, the, te the text might be a little um, faded in certain areas, so we're sorry about that. Um, but hopefully you can still get the gist of it and read it. So you'll see the outline. We have six sessions. This first session is planting um, garden, and then in the first part, and we're going to, halfway through this first session, we're going to go outside and actually lay out a bed with you all so you can see exactly how we do this hands-on and the tools that we use for doing it. Um, second session, we'll talk about soil and soil improvement, and then direct seeding and transplanting. We'll have the break for lunch, and we'll come back and follow up with the sessions in the afternoon. Now, if you look at your second piece of paper, this is the outline for our first um, session this morning, and this is how we're going to um, how we're going to do this. The first little section, um, my dad is going to share primarily connecting the garden with our lives uh, spiritually, because God has God created agriculture not just for us to grow our own food, but to actually catch a glimpse of who He is as well. So we're going to be talking about the spiritual side as well as the practical side, and we'll, we'll really hit up on the practical side because I know that's what you are especially here for, but we don't want to leave out the spiritual side to what God wants to teach us in the garden as well, all right? So I'm going to turn it over to Dad, and we'll, we'll kind of jump back and forth, but let's start out with talking about planting the garden, setting it up, and I just want to say for for those of you who who just came in a little bit late, we are we are very short on handouts. We had no idea that so many people were signing up for this. <laughs> so um, we are out right now, and I'm sorry. So if you don't have a handout, if you can just kind of share with somebody. If anyone close has to you. an extra handout that they could be sharing one with someone else, then yeah. uh, just let people know. Okay. So, who, who planted the first garden? God did, yes. And, and did that just happen? And if you look at the, the, the way that, that nature is so intricately fitted together, I know for a surety that does not just... It, it, was, it was very carefully crafted and planned. Um... The details are, are so intricate and so complex. Um, and everything that God made had a purpose, right? Does, does God just do things perfectly? 
He has to be careful. You know, when he speaks, what happens? He's not just speaking frivolous words, right? So um, everything that God created had a purpose, a function, and a place. Now, when, when you're in biology, I don't know if you remember this word niche, N-I-C-H, N-I-C-H-E, I think it is. I'm, I'm a bad speller. <laughs> do, you, do any of you remember hearing that word from biology? So what it means is that every life form has a particular place where it fits, it, where, it, um, where it thrives best. So we're in Florida right now. Um, do, you, do you see very many Douglas fir here? Why? This isn't a niche for Douglas fir, okay? Now, um, we, you might see some, some swamp cypress here, but do you see any swamp cypress in the Northwest? where Douglas fir grow. It's, that's not the niche for swamp cypress, okay? So everything God created has a particular place, and in that place, it has roles and functions that connect it to all the, well, to many of the other life forms in that place. Um, so, so niche, the idea of niche considers the plant or animal or man in relationship to everything around him. He's, given some, he's giving in some relationships and he's taking in some relationships and in some relationships it goes both ways. So when I consider all these relationships, what most awes me about God's creation is the systems and webs to me, they're like wheels and wheels. Um, the planning and design that went into all of these connections is truly amazing to me. Um, now, we know that when God created man, God said, let us make man in our image. Right? And the basic idea is that... Um, we are to, to image or reflect in our sphere what we see God doing in his sphere. Does that make sense? You know, we're not God, but we are the image, the, the reflection, the picture of God. And, and what is God's sphere? It's the whole universe, isn't it? And what's our sphere? Yes. Um, so, God is our Father, and we are his children. And it says, be imitators of God as beloved children, in Ephesians 5.1. So, um, one, of, one of the primary roles of, of a parent is, uh, is teaching, right? We need to, to train our children in in what works and what doesn't work and what's good and what's bad and, and kind of things. And so um, how, does, how does that learning take place? We, my, um, we have a granddaughter who just loves 
to play cookie. And she, she has her own, her own little kitchen, you know, dishes and cooking. She, she just loves to cook, and she likes to cook with her. And she always wants to fix me oatmeal. <laughs> Where does she get that idea from? Yes, she's, she's been observing, right? She's been watching, listening. She's, she's learning about life. And uh, so that's one of the, that's one of the key ways that, that we learn is by observation. The, uh, the other one is, is by practicing, um, by actually doing. And um, this last, last spring, we, we got our two grandsons involved with us planting potatoes. And so they have a much better idea what it takes now to plant potatoes because they actually did it with us. One of them was, was measuring the distance, you know, one foot between each one. The other one was, was I was digging a hole, but the other one would come along and, and um, cover the potatoes back up. So they, they were involved with us. So that's, that's another way that we learn. The third way is, is by teaching Whatever, whatever we are sharing, we got by observation and engagement. Does that make sense? So, I, you know, when you're gardening, this is how you're going to learn, is by observation and engagement. I want to encourage you with that. You have to do it. Okay, so planning a garden. Um, we've, we've put down here a number of different things that, that you'll need to think about when you're, when you're choosing a garden site. Um, there's, there's the soil, and we're, we don't have time to go in depth on, on each of these things, but just to give you an idea, almost any soil can be redeemed. And this is, this is good news. <laughs> because what does the soil represent? It represents our hearts, doesn't it? So some soils are definitely going to take more work than others. But um, almost any soil can be redeemed. Just a, a quick example of that is we have a friend. His name is Elliot Coleman. And he is a farmer up in Maine. He grows year-round on the coast of Maine without any supplemental heat uh, for uh, using some really simple methods. It's really an amazing farm. But he got there, and he had absolutely terrible soil. He said it was the worst that he has ever seen. Um, There were so many rocks. And we saw a new piece of ground that he was um, breaking up. And it really was, you know, there, there was just huge... Not just those, not just little rocks, but they're pulling out huge boulders out of this we field. Them out. <laughs> we have to pull some of them out. But not just that. The soil had a pH level. You all know what pH is? <clears throat> yeah, you remember from chemistry? So <clears throat> the soil had a pH level of like four point something. And it's supposed to have, a garden thrives best at around six and a half to seven. And so it was, it was quite a significant 
crop. I mean, the vegetables just aren't going to thrive in a four point whatever uh, pH level. Uh, but he has he has consist consistently worked that soil in a method in a. <clears throat> methodical way and we'll share with you some more tips on the in the next session about how you can build up your soil and he has he has built up that soil to be absolutely beautiful so that's just a simple example okay so the the next thing consideration is water it's very handy to have water close to your garden um, yeah you just that's one, of the, that's one of the essentials that plants need, of course. Um, another thing people don't always think about is sunlight. And, and this is, if you, if you think that you ever might want to be growing into the winter in particular, um, you know, we notice where the shadows fall and the shadows are shorter in the summer. But, but in the winter, the shadows can be long and they, you might, your garden area might be more shaded than you thought it would be in the winter. And if you want to grow in the winter in particular, that's, that's something to think about. Um, another, another, another thing is accessibility. Your garden site needs to be accessible, not, not just for you to walk into, but, but to get amendments into, you know, you, like a pickup truck or, or garden carts or, you know, you, it needs to be a place that you can get heavy things into and out of. Hopefully you're going to have some heavy harvests that you have to pull out of there too. So you just need to think of accessibility. Um, proximity to your house. The, the rule out of sight, out of mind really works. <laughs> and um, it's, it's so nice to have a garden close to home. And I'm speaking from experience because our garden is a long way from our house. <laughs> Um, and it, yeah, you, you'll you'll not only probably keep a nicer garden and and you know work more in it, but it's it's also so nice to just be able to step out the door and, and get a little sorrel or a little that you know for cooking immediately instead of having to think about harvesting a bunch and bringing it home. Um, uh, then. Microclimates are something to think about. There are, you know, you, you have a, a general climate where you, in the area where you live, but then there are microclimates um, based on air drainage, on, on the, the slope of the land. You know, a, a north-facing slope is going to have a different climate than a south-facing slope. Does that make sense? Um, in I grew up in Southern California, and in some of the mountains there, the, uh, a south-facing slope has, has a very dry climate. It's almost like a desert. And the north-facing slope can be lush trees, you know, big trees. And it's just a very, and, and the ridge is just a cut there, you know, the, dividing the two. So microclimates can, can, make, can be very significant. Another little example with that is on the farm, our house, well, my dad and mom's house is up on a hill, and the actual growing area is down in a valley. And what happens is that valley ends up being a frost pocket because the cold air just kind of comes in and settles down 
in the valley. And you can actually feel the difference when you're walking up to the house on the hill. As you're walking up the hill, you can just feel the air getting warmer and warmer and warmer. So it's just another example of a microclimate. It's not always the case, but there are times where the temperature at our house on the hilltop can be 10 degrees warmer than, than the fields in the valley. Um, and it's a 200-foot elevation difference. Um, another thing to consider is what you're going to be growing. Now, you know, that it, it may or may not, you know, if you're growing a wanting to grow a little bit of everything, then you know, the, what you're going to be growing doesn't really make much difference. But sometimes you know, a specific crop, like now if you want to put in blueberries, for example, you don't want to put them in a piece of bottom land because they, they don't like soggy roots. They like a well-drained soil. And so you, you want to put them on a hillside or on a raised bed or something like that. Um, so what you're going to be growing, you need to cons have put some consideration into where you put it. So it's like maybe check the elevation of where your garden spot is to see, I mean, how do you know what, okay, the microclimate of the garden spot? Like, because we have that same issue where it's a little bit colder where we are as far as the main campus. Yeah. So we just need to check the elevation basically and then consider that or well, one, one, thing, one thing is that, uh, and we should make just kind of a little, um, what would you call it? Uh, I think we get into this on the back. Yeah, yeah. Just a, a caveat, I guess, when, when you're thinking about all of these considerations, is that it, while it's nice to think that we could find the ideal spot for our garden that will fit every single one, usually you have to kind of pick and choose between them. So for example, where we are and we have that frost pocket, you know, that is the ideal place for us to grow even though it has that negative aspect of being a frost pocket because it does get colder and so it's not as ideal for growing in the winter. But it is the best garden soil. It has um, the best water access. We have gravity-fed water from our pond. So you kind of have to weigh and it, and it's, the differences. It's, it's more accessible than any other place on, on the farm too, so yeah. The, Does that choosing, make sense? In choosing your garden site, I I don't know if you will ever find a garden, one garden site that meets all of these criteria. See, you just have to pick and choose which ones you want to sacrifice, and and then you know when you're doing that, then you have to think about okay, then I then if I'm getting a piece that's less desirable in a certain way, then I'm going to have to um, work with that. And you, know, and you can do that. And as far as, as, far as the elevation itself, um, the elevation isn't so important. Um, but in general, you will have better quality soil down at um, lower places than like up on the top of a hill. Like the top of a hill will generally be less quality soil because the soil has kind of you know washed away with rain and and stuff like that and goes down to the lower areas. Yeah. yeah. So um, just a couple of other things to think about: uh, how much will you be growing? You know, what size garden do you want? And um, and the orientation. Um, 
we, we like to run our beds um, north and south. That way, they, that way they get the eastern sun shining on one side of them in the morning, they get the western sun shining on the other side, and you don't have as much issue with plants shading each other in the garden. We've, we've had some experience with beds that run east and west, especially in the winter, the ones on the south side of the bed get lots of sun and the ones on the north side of the bed don't get as much sun because the, the southern ones kind of shade them. Does that make sense? And, and so we, we like to run our beds the other way. And that's not, that's not a necessity, but again, that's one of the factors that, that we like to consider and, and follow as much as is good and convenient. <laughs> I wanted to give them a little visual for this last yes. one. Um, the last one here is the layout of your garden itself. Many people in the, um, it's just kind of standard agriculture thought in many circles that when you plant a garden, you simply plant rows of vegetables. So you're going to have a row of cabbage, a row of broccoli, a row of corn, um, and you plant it in rows. But I want to share with you a few advantages of growing in beds versus growing in rows. Um, and a bed would be where you have like a, a larger area, and I'll show you a visual of this, but you have a larger area you're growing in and then you have a small pathway in between the beds. So there's a few advantages. One, you end up needing less weeding because of the way that your plants are spaced, and I'll show you that in a second. You have less compaction because you're not walking right next to the plants, you're only walking on the pathways. And you can have higher yields for the amount of space that you're growing in as well. So here's a, here's a visual, make sure everyone can see this, um, a visual of the difference. On the left here, you have what would be growing in a row. And so there's about 12, I don't know, say these are beets. There's about 12 beet plants in a four foot by one foot section of space. And then, you know, maybe you would have another row growing over here, if that would be the standard. So, so that's four square feet of, of garden is allowing 12 plants there. Correct. Now, if you take that and you put it into a bed setup, like here, where you have two feet by two feet, so this would be a two foot wide bed, um, you can stagger. Yeah, again, it's four square feet, and you can stagger your planting. And I don't even remember how many there were in here. It's one, two, three, four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty-five. So there's about forty plants versus the twelve plants. So you can get a much higher yield when you stagger your, stagger your plants in a bed like that. The other thing is, so what basically what this would be is. You know, this is a square here, but the bed would continue down, you know, in both, both ways. So it would be a long, long bed that is two feet wide, and you would stagger your planting, like in the picture here. You'll get much better yield but all, and less compaction because you're not walking on the bed, but also there's less weeding because what happens is as the plants grow, they will grow close to each other, and they'll actually shade out the weeds. 
so the, the weeds underneath won't have sunlight to be able to grow, um, and so you'll have less weeding with growing in a bed yeah, Generally, as you well. can get by with two cultivations, and, and then by then, the, the plants are big enough to start shading out the weeds. Yeah. So there are many different ways that you can set up your garden, and in just a second, we're going to go out, and we're going to show you exa exactly how we would set up a garden from scratch. You know, if you're just going to go out into the lawn out here and set up a bed, how would you do that, and what tools would you use? So we're going to do that in just a second, but first, just a little overview. Um, you know, some people use the square foot gardening method, and that is very similar to what we do in the sense that, again, they're growing in a bed, and they're putting in as many plants as possible, you're getting the best um, yield. We suggest growing in 30-inch wide beds, and we'll show you how we set this up, um, like I said, in just a second when we go outside, but there are a few advantages for growing in 30-inch wide beds, and you can actually kind of use the same square foot gardening method spacing, um, but just in a 30-inch wide bed. The advantages of a 30-inch wide bed is, number one, it's easy to step across and to straddle. It's small enough that you can actually, you know, step across it, but it's large enough that you're still getting a maximum amount of benefit. Um, there are many quality tools that are actually designed for a 30-inch wide bed. So, for instance, there's a bed rake that's designed for a 30-inch wide bed. It makes it just very easy to rake your bed off and prepare it really nicely. Um, and then, like we said, we have a farmer friend, Elliot Coleman, who has plant spacing recommendations based on it. And actually, we have kind of come up with our own plant spacing recommendations as well. Um, and if you're interested in those, we can give them um, to you <laughs> later. Continuing with some of the advantages, with a home garden, a 20-foot length is really ideal for a home garden size or any um, increment of that. So 20, 40, 60, 80. 20 is just a really nice small size that you can fit in almost any backyard. And what, what's really nice about a 20 foot length at 30 inches wide, which 30 inches wide is two and a half feet wide, is that it ends up being 50 square feet of garden space. And when you get your, if you take a soil test and you get recommendations on adding amendments to your garden, usually those recommendations will come in, add so much per 100 square feet. And so if you have a garden bed that is 50 square feet, it just makes it very easy to make that calculation and to add the amendment to your garden, garden space. And then last one here is cardinal rule in the garden is that beds are not to be walked upon. So, you know, gather your family around, have a little family council, and, you know, make it real clear that the beds are not to be walked upon. You only walk on the aisles. The only time you'll ever step foot on the bed is when you're preparing it. And then you kind of prepare it backwards so you loosen up the soil, and, um, and that keeps your soil from being compacted and really helps create an environment where your plants can thrive. So, so we don't walk on beds in the house and we don't walk on beds in the garden either. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. All right. Anything else that you want to add before we... I think we better... Okay, so... Um, Can you talk about what you mean by air drainage? Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, it's, it's very simple. Basically, um, when things get hot, air or water, they tend to rise. And when they get 
cold, they tend to settle. And, you know, if you notice that in, in, in your house, if you have a, a two-story house and you don't have fans going, um, the upper story gets hot in the summertime, hotter than downstairs. That's because the heat rises. And so that's, that's the basic idea. And it happens outdoors um, more than you would think. If you have a space um, that is very hemmed in by, um, like if it's hills going all the way around and it's a small space or if there's trees all the way around so that it doesn't have airflow, like it just kind of sits there stagnant, most places have enough air drainage and it's not something that you need to worry about. There'll be wind that comes through and blows air, new air in. But if, it's, if you have a place that is, that is just very hemmed in and you just know that it never really gets a breeze, it's just stagnant, then you would want to kind of consider, can I open it up a little bit? Can I cut some trees down, add a little more airflow in so that there's some more airflow, something like that. Yeah. And so, so we need to keep in mind that there's flexibility you're going to find. Yes. 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 Yeah. The seed packets always give spacings in rows, so they'll they'll say plant the the plants maybe 10 inches apart in the row and then 18 inches apart between rows. You know, something like that. Yeah. And and. Frankly, we never follow the seed packet um, spacings because, because we have spacings that will give us a lot more production um, if we're planting in a bed. But if, if you are using the seed packet, you can, you can put more, we value the, the in-row spacing more than the between-row spacing, yeah. if that makes sense. You can, you can make your, your rows roughly maybe just a little bit wider than, than the in-row spacing. So if it says 10 inches in-row, maybe make it 12 inches between rows, something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, another question. Well, on the board, you have a manager stage wide, and then it said 20 inch length in the idea. 20 foot. 20 Yes. 20 foot length. Mm -hmm. 30 inches and the 20 is feet. Yeah. So it's 30 inches wide by 20 feet long. Or if you want to keep it all in feet, it's two and a half feet wide by 30 feet. Ah, 20 feet. 20 feet. Uh, checking to see if you're listening. No, I made a mistake. Yeah. The size of the plant. I would assume that that has something to do with the spacing that they're It does. It does. So how much attention and do, you, do you pay to that? Yeah, you, that, is the, that is the main thing. But the, the challenge is that if you're, you're new to gardening or if it's the first time, time you've grown this pr particular plant, for example, lettuce, there are large lettuces and there are small lettuces. So you oftentimes don't really have an idea you know, going into it, what you're doing, and so you're relying on, on their, their spacings, and so that's... But do you just, uh, do you consider that that should be your overall spacing, even if it's in a wide bed? The spacing that they have from one to the other? 
or do, can you tighten up on that? Well, like I said, I, I give more credit to the in-row spacing, you know, between plants in the row. So I, I give more credit to that value than the between-row spacing. You can, you can tighten the between-row spacing up. And there are times when you can tighten even the in-row spacing up. We can share with you a, a, a PDF. Um, we don't have printouts of it, but we could give it to you on a flash drive or email it to you um, that has all of our spacings for most of the ma major crops. Yeah. Right. yeah. Like I've used your spacing for strawberries. Okay, like yes. Strawberry plants from you, yeah. and I have used that. Yes. And, uh, I think roughly a foot apart or something. Right. Yes, that's right. Exactly. And staggered in the yes. too wide. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yep. That's and it. The, the basic idea is that by the time the plants are about roughly a third to half grown, they're, they're going to be filling in all the empty space so that, so that then they're shading out the weeds. And... This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.